Thanks for listening to our podcast. The following is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us on Sunday mornings. For more details, visit us online at orchardbible.org. Today's scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 12 through 14. This is the word of God. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this book that we get to study thousands of years after it was written. Thank you for the preservation that you've accomplished of your word to the early church, which still applies to us today and is applied to us through your Holy Spirit. Would your spirit teach us this morning, incorporate your word into our individual lives, and help us to bring you glory? Amen. You may be seated. All right. Today's passage is 13, 1 through 16. It's a big passage. There's lots of themes in there. Um, there's a lot of confluence of earlier mentioned themes. Um, but today's passage, today's message is about sacrifices. And it's not a common thing for us to think about, sacrifices. We don't make sacrifices anymore. We don't take animals um, outside. I think PETA would be pretty mad about that. Um, so we don't, we don't do that anymore. I don't think anybody has made animal sacrifices since 70 AD, when the Solomon's Temple was destroyed and sacked by Rome. So this passage, we're going to see the Old Covenant sacrifices, generally a sin sacrifice and non-sin sacrifices for Thanksgiving and other reasons. There were kind of two types. And we're going to see the New Testament sacrifices, the New Covenant sacrifices. A popular British singer-songwriter named Ed Sheeran writes music about a range of topics, none of which have anything to do with the gospel. Um, and I can't really recommend his music. But he wrote this song. <laughs> He's a good musician. Uh, he wrote this song called Beautiful People. And it, it, in this song, it, it's a wonderful description of how empty the world's promises are. I was shocked when I heard it the first time. I replayed it to make sure I was hearing the right words. Listen to some of these lyrics. L.A. on a Saturday night in the summer. Sundown, and they all come out. Lamborghinis, rented Hummers, the party's on, they're headed downtown. Everybody's looking for a come up or some benefit. And they want to know what you're about. Me, in the middle, with the one I'm loving, we're just trying to figure everything out. We don't fit in well, he says. Because we're just ourselves. This is my only fear, he's saying, that we become beautiful people. 
surrounded but still alone, he concludes, let's leave the party. <laughs> wow. Ed is one of the most popular singer-songwriters of my generation, um, and he has discovered that the Instagram happiness of this world is totally hollow. When you've made it like he has, worldwide fame, international tours, the money, the fame, the popularity, the success, it's all lipstick on a pig. As soon as you have that, I don't think he would disagree with this, as soon as you have that, what do you want? More, <laughs> exactly. So, keeping that in mind, even someone in just soaked in the world who has achieved fame and success, and he's not the only one who's come to this conclusion, but we can see that he has discovered its emptiness. We're going to come back to that. We're going to, come, we're going to look at our passage a little bit out of order this morning. Like I said, we're 1 to 16, but we're going to start in verse 9. Uh, the first section in your outline uh, that should be included in your bulletin is follow Jesus outside the camp. It's in this section that we'll leave the old covenant sacrifices behind and highlight Christ as the sin sacrifice of the new covenant. Look at verses 9 through 14 with me. It's a long passage, but hang in there. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, their bodies are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Wonderful hope for the future in there. There's apparently a strange and diverse teaching about food uh, in this community to which the, the preacher was, was writing. Um, the first thing he does here is he reminds them that this can't be uh, an ultimate issue. He says, the foods, uh, which were the subject matter of the dispute, have not benefited those who have been devoted to them. They've derived no benefit. So his first argument against this diverse and strange teaching is that, look, it's, it's not even effective. It's not doing anything. Uh, and anyway, food cannot save a person. As we know, Jesus taught, it is not what goes into a person that defiles him, but what comes out. So let's look back again at 10 and 11, verses 10 and 11. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Now, there's background here to fully, that, that you have to understand to fully appreciate what he's saying. And I know I fully can't appreciate what he's saying because I didn't live in this community 
And it's not fully clear. In fact, I haven't found a single commentator that even opines on what the strange and diverse teaching was. But whatever it was, it was impeding grace in the lives of the community, in the lives of the believing Jews. Grace is the opposite of legalism. And this was legalism cropping up in their community. Legalism says, do X. And if you always do X, Y will result. You'll always get Y. It's, it's transactional. Legalism treats God like a cosmic vending machine, like an input-output relationship. That's not how it works. Grace says, rather, receive grace, and the result will be salvation. <laughs> then your life will reflect the grace that you have received. We're not saved by works, as Paul writes in Galatians. And anything apart from grace that is credited with salvation, anything that's extra on top of grace, is very dangerous and wrong. So beware, is what he's saying. Flee this teaching, this spurious, strange, diverse teaching about food. It's not effective. Okay, so what does he mean when he says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat? So what he's saying is those who serve the tent, he was referring to the, the Levites, the Jewish priests, who would administer the animal sacrifices. And they were operating under the old covenant. Now, remember, the Hebrews to which uh, this book was written, they were believing Jews probably still living in their Jewish community. They probably still had Jewish neighbors, and they probably still had Jewish friends. And so he's trying to, he's trying to put the divider in their mind and say, look, those who serve the tent, your neighbors, maybe, and the priests, they don't have a right to eat at our table. They are operating under the old covenant, which is now fulfilled and is no longer effective. They don't have the right to eat at the Lord's table, to take communion, to claim the sacrifice of Jesus, because they haven't done so. Of course, everyone is welcome to do that. Everyone is welcome to join this community. But they had not, because they were serving the tent. Now, interesting thing about these sacrifices. I mentioned there were two types of sacrifices in Judaism and, and in Christianity. Generally, there's lots more than two, but generally, there's ones that were propitiation for sin, ones that covered and were payment for sin, and ones that weren't. In Judaism, there was the sin sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. The sacrifice was a bull and a goat. You can check me on Leviticus 16 if you like. The, they were killed in the outer courtyard, their blood was drained, the blood was put on the horns of the altar in the courtyard there, then their blood was also taken into, into the tent and put on the elements inside the tent. Now their bodies, as our text illustrates and as is shown in Leviticus, their bodies after that were taken outside the city and burned. That's the sin offering. The other offerings for Thanksgiving or for uh, the festal sacrifices, those were shared in. They were killed, and the blood was sprinkled in different places, and they had different functions, but 
then they were enjoyed and eaten, but not the sin sacrifice. The sin sacrifice was taken outside the city and burned to a crisp. So it was with Jesus. He was killed outside the city, and he was the sin sacrifice. That's the parallel that, he's, that the preacher is drawing here. Read uh, verses 12 and 13 with me. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. This is an artful flow of argument. Uh, away from a spurious teaching about food, which may have involved the non-sin sacrifices that the Jews were eating, possibly, into an exhortation to leave the culture and to follow Jesus outside the city and make our own sacrifices, which we will see in our second section. We're commanded to bear the reproach that Jesus endured, and as we live this, leave the city and go to the cross, we participate in this critical and familiar refrain of Christian living. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. That's what we're talking about. In fact, leaving the city is in itself a sacrifice. More colloquially, the way that we would colloquially refer to a sacrifice. Oh, it was a big sacrifice to leave the city. That's, that's not a coincidence either that we use that word. We're sacrificing to God when we bend our will to his. <clears throat> Keep in mind, along that, uh, along that line... Jesus said in John 15, if the world hates you, presumably because of the decisions that you've made in your life to follow him, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Again, connecting this idea that we're to follow Jesus, who has already blazed the trail outside the city to the hill of Golgotha. There's no variation in Jesus, which is a wonderful thing. Now, in our culture today, as you know, it has been a moving... I just How you communicate with people is a moving target. I mean, can you believe in 1992, I think it was 92, Bill Clinton signed the Defense of Marriage Act. I, I mean, that's a little far flung from where we are today. Um, and that wasn't even 30 years ago. Culture has accelerated in its progression toward chaos at an accelerating rate. But our standard remains the same. Whatever culture is saying that is contrary to the gospel, take it outside the city. Leave the camp. Romans 6 says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him. That's leaving the city. That's giving up our preferences. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. 
Pick up your cross of suffering and walk outside the city. There you will find real life and real peace in community with Jesus. So that's the first section in your outline. The second section here is to hold fast to Jesus and to imitate his sacrifice. In this section, we'll see the constant sacrifices that we are to make under the new covenant. And you, Again, you didn't mishear that. We are to continually make sacrifices. They, of course, look much different today. And we'll get into these. Uh, and you'll hear these as we read through uh, verses 15 and 16 and then 1 through 8. So we're doing the end of our passage, then we're looping back to the beginning. Verse 15. Through him, Jesus, then let us continually offer up, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices, there's our word, such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say as a result, I would add, the Lord is my help. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What an attitude. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. For Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our posture today as Christians is not to just sit back and pine for eternity. Although there is plenty of that that is appropriate. But we are also to engage with the sufferings of Jesus bearing the reproach that Jesus endured until the end. And we have some practical ways in which we can do this, by sacrifices. One thing, if you come away this morning with one thing, it's this. There are estimated 100 billion people have lived in the course of human history. There are 7 billion people alive today. There is one God. The individual actions of your life can bring joy and pleasure to the heart of God. You can do this individually, and he is very pleased. Okay, verses 15 and 16 charge us to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. We just finished doing that with the worship band and with the last service. The fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Don't, don't mistake this. Don't separate what I just said with what is here in verse 15. That last service was very pleasing to God. The music, every time we sing 
truths about his name together and alone in our cars, we can bring joy to the heart of God. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Those also. So, obviously, and as I mentioned before, the sacrifices that we make are not propitiation for sin. They're not payment. They're not made in exchange for guilt. They are thankfulness offerings. They are gratefulness expressed to God. Theologian uh, John Stott uh, points out in his book, The Cross of Christ, there are eight different types of sacrifices that we are to offer today as Christians. Not as propitiation, but as expression of gratitude. I left room in your outline for you to take notes if 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 you've got that handy. But there are eight different types. We are to offer our bodies to God in service as living sacrifices. Our bodies are sacrifices to God. They are living, and what we do with them matters. Romans 12.1. We are also to offer God our praise, our worship, our thanksgiving, like we just did. The fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, which is listed here in our passage. We are to offer God, that's number two. Number three, we're to offer God our prayers. Guys, when you pray, your prayers ascend to God like fragrant incense. Don't miss that. They're not just cathartic. And he's, it's not just that he's listening and can hear you and is like, okay, fine, you can talk to me. Your prayers are fragrant incense. A great way to pray, I learned this as a, as a kid, is to use the acts outline. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. It slows you way down, and it is a wonderful way to worship God in your prayers. A-C-T-S. We are to maintain a broken and contrite heart, which God accepts and never despises. This is the opposite of a prideful heart, a prideful attitude, a selfish heart. If we maintain that broken and contrite heart, that is a pleasing sacrifice to God. We sacrifice our preferences very generally in an attitude of selflessness. We are constantly sacrificing our preferences, and that's the broken and contrite heart. Our faith is also called a sacrifice of service. When you see circumstances around you and you have reason to doubt, but you know the reality is that God has taken care of you, faith in that circumstance is a sacrifice and service. Just like we see in our passage here, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. That attitude is an attitude of faithfulness in doubt, and that is a sacrifice and service. Our gifts, our good deeds are called sacrifices. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. As we also saw in our passage. We are to offer our very life poured out like a drink offering in God's service. This is another type of offering. It was a medium. There were several mediums. There was a wave offering of grain, or there was a burnt offering of meat, and a drink offering was poured out, totally poured out. That's what our life is to be like. 
Finally, the last of the eight that Stott mentions is what I'm doing right now. The preaching of the gospel is called a priestly duty, and those who believe because of the preaching can be presented to God as an acceptable offering. We can see these types of sacrifices offered at any time throughout our day. We can pray in the car. We can sing in the car alone. We can, we can pray together. Now, verses 15 and 16 outline specific sacrifices that are pleasing to God, like we heard. But let's look at verses 1 through 8 now. Verses 1 through 8 are also the application of verses 15 and 16. They are very practical, eminently reachable things that we can do that will fit into one of those eight categories of offerings that we can uh, offer to God. Now, I've included in your outline a little three-part breakdown. And I know this is a little awkward, and it's not the huge, you know, major point of, of this section. But what I want you to see is there's beauty in this. There's beauty in each of these, uh, each of these commands, verses 1 through 8. Each of them is a good thing to do. Generally, it's good to love your brother. It's good to hold marriage in high respect. It's good not to love money. That's a good thing to do. Secondly, each of these commands is countercultural. They're all against what certainly our culture today would have us do. And then thirdly, each of these commands reveals a different aspect of our identity in Christ. So, let's look at verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Brotherly love phileo in the Greek. This is love for siblings, love for your relatives. Now, we have a, a proclivity today in our culture to choose our families. Well, I don't like my family, so I'm going to go over here and I'm going to make a new family over here. And uh, when you're off at college, it's good to find a, you know, a family. But that family that you choose in college, beware. Choose your actual family, your brothers and sisters in Christ. They are your actual family. So yes, it's good to love each other, generally. It's good to love others. But it is countercultural to love strangers in your community. Even your neighbors, it's countercultural to love your neighbors. But this reveals a deeper identity about who we are. As someone mentioned in the first service in First John, we are called the children of God, and so we are. So that's, that's verse 1. It's countercultural, it's a good thing to do, and it reveals something about our identity. Let brotherly love continue. Verse 2, show hospitality to strangers, for some have entertained angels unawares. Now this sermon was written to the believing Jewish community, where uh, Gentiles were described as strangers and aliens. Um, the Apostle Paul described us as that before we knew Christ, before we were able to join the family of God. We were strangers and aliens. Uh, this is also a callback to Abraham. When Abraham and Sarah were promised Isaac, 
but he had not yet been born. There, was, I, there were years, there was a years-long interval, I think 10 or 12 years, uh, between the promise and when Isaac was born. And um, while they were in this interval, uh, three men approached Abraham's tent as he was sitting under a tree, and they, um, Abraham popped up right away and greeted them and showed them hospitality. He killed an animal for them. He, prepared a fe- he and Sarah prepared a feast for them, and they sat down. And it's a good thing they did, <laughs> because those men were angels. And one of them, it has been argued, I think, one of them may have been the pre-incarnate Christ, coming to tell them that it was either him or Gabriel. I need to look that up. Um, but they were coming to say, one year from today, you'll have a baby. So hang in there. It's countercultural to show hospitality to strangers. You wouldn't, you know, hitchhikers are, are, uh, are having a hard time these days, especially during COVID. Um, and I'm not suggesting anybody pick up hitchhikers. It's dangerous. But it is certainly countercultural. It is good, especially from the stance of Christian love, to show hospitality to strangers, especially in that context of faith. And then, like I mentioned before, the deeper truth about our identity in Christ here is that we were strangers and aliens. We were the ones who needed hospitality, who needed more than hospitality. But Jesus showed us hospitality and invited us into his family. Okay, verse 3. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Uh, the implication here is these were Christian brothers and sisters who had been imprisoned because of their faith. Um, this is, I am sure, I don't know if Christians are being imprisoned in Afghanistan now, but I'm sure they're being killed. Um, but they are imprisoned in China and Iran and North Korea and all these other closed countries. So we are to remember them and bless them however we can because of the truth of our identity that we were once imprisoned. We were once slaves to sin. And God bought us out of slavery. This is, of course, countercultural. The, the whole idea of prison is that someone has violated some social norm or standard, and as a result, they are removed from culture. They are removed from society and put away in a box for a certain period of time. So remembering those who are in prison is certainly countercultural. Verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Now, I don't think there would be any dispute to me saying that our culture doesn't hold marriage in very high regard today. Uh, it's, it's a, I don't think anyone would really disagree with that. It's not, it's not uh, held as holy matrimony. Um, it's a convenient uh, institution that provides tax benefits and uh, real, estate, uh, real estate benefits. So um, we had this debate in 2015 when the Supreme Court was deciding Obergefell, 
which legalized same-sex marriage in the United States. Um, on a lighter note, it's probably true to say that, the, uh, that men as a gender have more fidelity to a sports team than they do to their wives. And I'm sure it'll only be a matter of time before a person can marry their own pet. Um, of course, this has already happened in Canada. Uh, in 2019, <laughs> Elizabeth Hode married her golden retriever on a daytime talk show. So probably not, not a matter of dispute that this is countercultural. Um, the reason that this is so important to hold marriage in high regard and to let the marriage bed be undefiled is this is the most intimate picture that we have of God's relationship to his church. That's why it's not because God wants us to be restricted and doesn't want us to share our love with everybody who we want to. It's not just some made-up rule. It's because of what it represents. It's called holy matrimony because it represents our unity with God in eternity as the bride of Christ. That's why God feels so strongly about marriage as an institution and sex. Verses 5 and 6. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Uh, I'm sure the love of money has been around longer than money. Um, and being content with what you have is countercultural. I, I think if our nation's motto weren't e pluribus unum, it would be money, money, money. Dollar, dollar bills. I mean, there's career paths. There's considerations. There's how am I going to continue to grow my income? How can I afford the next house? Um, my kids are sharing a bedroom. I really want all my five kids to have their individual bedrooms and all my three cars to have their individual garage. There's nothing wrong with trying to provide for your family in a comfortable way. But, and it's not necessarily about how much money you have. You can have people who don't love money at all, who are multimillionaires and people who are struggling to, to make it, who just worship money. It's a heart issue. This is, this, it's not necessarily about what you have. But showing contentment is almost radically countercultural. And when we show contentment, those around us are pointed to Christ. Now, how many conversations have you had in the workplace or with a, a colleague or, or a partner or something? And one of them, you know, maybe somebody says, yeah, I don't know, I'm pretty happy where I am. I don't really have a lot of, you know, ambition or I don't really need a raise. Cost of living's fine. I, I don't know if I've ever heard that. I mean... I've always heard goals. You want career goals. You've got a path you want to follow. I want to make partner by the time I'm 34. I want to, I want to own a Ferrari by the time I'm 50. 
goals. I mean, we're a very driven country. And that, that has some benefits. That's great. But our spiritual attitude as the family of God is to be of contentment. And here's the reason. This is the reason. God is our provider. And if we attempt to take that provision into our own hands, and I'm not saying you can't be ambitious or you can't have career goals, you can't want to progress in your, along your career path. But what I'm saying is if, you're, if your goal is to be independent from trusting God, that is what is trying to be protected against. That's what the preacher is preaching against here. He's saying be content with what you have because our identity in Christ is that he is our provider and we depend on him. If a single sparrow can't fall to the ground without God knowing and consenting to it, how much more will he provide for us? The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man possibly do to me? That is a wonderful statement of faith and trust in Christ's provision in your life. Verses 7 and 8, as we wrap up here. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Remembering those who taught you the gospel, those who taught you what's essential for life. I still remember my Sunday school teachers from Oregon City, Oregon. Uh, there was a nice gal named Allison, and there was a nice guy, nice guy named Jim. Jim's last name was Allison. So when they got married, it was Jim and Allison Allison. So it's hard to forget. But I will always remember that they laid a foundation early on in my life. And my parents built on that foundation and laid other foundations. And when I went off to college, the navigators laid a foundation in my life. And after college, I moved here and Littleton Bible Chapel laid a foundation in my life. And the elders there and the elders here are continuing to build on that. And I... It is my responsibility to remember them and to continue to pray for them. I haven't had contact with Jim and Allison Allison since I was eight years old. But I hope they're doing well and I should pray for them. The cultural standard here is to just... How many, how many people have ever said in the culture... You didn't hear Steve Jobs or Bill Gates... Or these other guys say, well, you know, my accomplishments, I was really standing on the shoulders of giants, and I really just kind of pushed it over the edge. And I was able to achieve what I did because technology was at the current state that it was. They're never going to say that. They're not going to re remember who came before. They're not gonna, and they're certainly not going to remember the electrical engineers that helped put together circuit boards um, and discover that technology. But it is not to be so with you. We are to remember those who taught us the gospel and to imitate their faith, in fact. And the, well, probably one of the number one commandments that God gave to Israel throughout their journeys and throughout the Old Testament was to remember. Remember the event of their establishment. Remember God saving them out of Egypt. 
Accordingly, we are the sheep of his pasture. We're under the care of under-shepherds, our elders here at Orchard, who've been placed over us as loving protection from false teachers. We'll hear more, more about this next week, I'm sure. But they protect us from destructive conflict, from false teaching, from continuing sin. And we're to model the faith that we see in their lives. In conclusion here, brothers and sisters, and I can call you that because it's true, leave the party. Go outside the camp. All these sacrifices that we can make, including leaving the city, including shutting off social media or tuning it way down, these are the sacrifices of the new covenant. Here we have no lasting city. And what we are to leave behind are the sacrifices in our trail. You know, this city will burn up. This world will burn up. The culture will continue to change at probably a continuing, accelerating rate. But Jesus Christ remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. Imitate the Israelites when they first approached Pharaoh. Do you remember what they said? Let us go outside the city to make sacrifices to our God. Let's pray and then the worship team will come up for a closing hymn. God, turn our eyes upon you. Let us see Golgotha in the distance and strive to participate in your suffering, in, your, in the, the, the example that you showed by your ultimate sin-covering sacrifice. Help us to follow that example and make our own sacrifices of gratefulness in our own lives. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.